people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking about two movies that recently played at the Fantastic Fest down in Austin. First up, we're going to be hearing from Kira Elise Gardner, who is the director of Living with Chucky. It's a documentary all about the Child's Play films. I myself had only seen the original Child's Play, so seeing this documentary about all of the films that have come since, the TV shows... A lot of good stuff here. Great documentary. Enjoy this interview. Can you tell me a little bit of your history with Chucky and with filmmaking? My dad came on to the Child's Play franchise with Seed of Chucky, and I was around four at the time. So my entire life has been around Chucky. I'm also an October baby, so Chucky was always at my birthday parties used to make little mazes and Chucky would be at the end scaring kids. And if a few people went home crying, that was absolutely not my fault. It was Chucky's fault. And so it's kind of been this thing amongst many others, you know, having a dad as a special effects artist that has stuck with me my entire life, which is insane. And then as a filmmaking journey, I originally didn't intend to go into the film industry I think when you're younger, you try to like rebel against your parents. Either you want to be just like them or nothing at all. And even though I think my dad is the coolest human being on the entire planet, I wasn't as passionate about makeup as I see him when he works. It's really inspiring. And so I didn't think that the film industry was for me because that was my only experience to it. But my parents encouraged me to take a film class at USC one summer in high school and They had us do everything and directing was one of the things. And I directed my first short film and I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. You can get paid to do this. That's crazy. And so I'm so happy that they encouraged me to do that and were supportive because now I get to work in the same industry as my dad, who I love so much and obviously make films with him in them. Can you tell me a little bit about some of your short films? Because they sound fascinating. Thank you. Yeah, obviously, this documentary started as a short in college. And then after that, I made two other films in school. I just graduated in 2019. So it's not like I have the biggest short film resume, but they all tend to revolve around having practical effects in some capacity. One of the films is about tattoo ink gone wrong. And it's zombie comedy. Actually, one of the actors from Cult of Chucky is in that short film, Adam Herdig, which was so cool. He came down to FSU to do that film. And then obviously I'm gravitating towards practical effects and those kinds of things. Guillermo del Toro is one of my favorite directors. And so for my thesis film, I kind of made a short film about what it's like making friends and feeling like a fish out of water, but not, you know, subjecting it to just one type of person or gender. So I made my main character a four-foot animatronic fish puppet named Phoebe who is voiced by Kimmy Robertson, who is Lucy in Twin Peaks, which is my favorite TV show, which was so awesome. And that was a really 
fun short film to do and experiment with practical effects on a, a bigger scale. So that's kind of like my short film repertoire. I haven't really done a lot of short films since graduating because COVID as well, but I have done some like proof of concepts for other films that I hope to do in the future. Yeah, I was curious. You said you graduated in 2019. I'm just like, oh, great. Yeah, just went right out into the workforce and then got the pandemic. Yep. <laughs> got COVID. Then we hit COVID. Yeah. Like I was feeling like I was just kind of getting my ground of moving into LA because I'm from California, but I'm not actually from LA. So it's new to me. And uh, yeah, I was actually working on a Foo Fighters movie, Studio 666, when COVID hit. <laughs> so we had to shut down and then the world closed. Well, how did you keep busy during the pandemic? Was it all this work on the Chucky documentary? Yeah, I basically used that time to really edit. And then as time went on and things started to open up a bit more and, and vaccines, as soon as I was vaccinated and travel was a bit easier, that's when I started traveling to like New York to get interviews with Tony Pimpone from Bangoria and John Waters lives in Maryland. Well, mainly it was COVID just was like staying alive was the primary Objective there, my autoimmune compromise, and so is my family. So it's kind of just staying indoors and then, yeah, using that time to edit and see what else I could do. And that's kind of what brought about actually getting the guest interviews from people not in the franchise was having that time to sit there with it and be like, I think we need some outside sources to give some perspective and fun nods to the things. I feel like, you know, the short film was like a practice run. And so I kind of knew and had a little bit of the festival experience to see what people responded to, which was so nice. And then, yeah, I, I didn't realize how big of a piece I was chewing off in making this when I first set out to do it. I was just like, you know, I have, I have this amount of money. I'm just going to go do it and make it. And I already have this footage and I have access to the people, which makes sense. But then really in editing and when we got into post and all those things, I was like, oh, wow, this is a behemoth of a task. Also a beloved franchise. I don't want to disappoint the Chucky fans watching this. I really hope that they love it. So it was an undertaking. But at the same time, it was, you know, I'm coming from having the childhood that I do and such a big understanding of it. And if I had any questions, you know, I just look to my right and I can ask my dad, hey, is this actually what happened back in the day? Do you remember this? You know, as like kind of like a fact checker and, you know, keeping some things straight. So that was lovely. When did you wrap the film? When was the final version? Or have you yet to get to that final version? I feel like a month ago, honestly, was we we had to go back over the film with a lawyer. And so I had to reopen the project and make sure that everything was abiding by fair use and and those types of things. So really, it was, was finished like a month ago, just fair, fairly recently. But yeah, I think the last interview we shot was actually Lynn Shays earlier this year. And then when do you find out that it's in Fantastic Fest? Um, I found out uh, like a month ago, I think. And yeah, I was so excited. I've never been before and I I didn't realize what a huge deal that festival is and especially for the horror genre and more niche uh, films. So I'm so excited. People have like been building it up for for this like past month. I'm so excited to go. Is this going to be your first time seeing this with a, an audience? No, it's it'll be my third. My last audience that I viewed it with was at Fright Fest in the UK. And it was such a different reaction from, you know, UK audience. So I'm excited to come back to the US and see 
you know, with that in mind of, again, what people respond to differently over here. Well, now I have to ask, what did you see that they responded to differently over there than over here? Um, there were some times where like somebody was saying something and it wasn't supposed to be funny. And then people were laughing at it. And I was just like, if you find that funny, great. You know, it's not like it's a serious part of the documentary where we should be feeling sad, but it was just so funny. I was like, I, even in editing, I didn't find that to be laugh out loud funny, but I'm glad you're, you're finding it amusing. Well, that's one of the things I enjoyed about the documentary so much is it feels like so many people behind the scenes of this horror franchise are just such a big family and enjoy being around each other so much. Yeah, yeah. And I think that comes across on screen in in not only in the documentary, but the films themselves and the TV series. It's you can tell the love people have for each other and for the character. And it just feels right that you, having a familial connection with your dad, it's like you're the perfect person to make this documentary. Yeah, I hope I wasn't, you know, overstepping and things. But yeah, it felt like if anybody were to tell the story, it would make sense to come from within the the franchise. And uh, I just have a big admiration for everybody and how much they put in to everything. And that was my hope was to really get a moment for them to tell that story and how hard they've worked and the budgets that they've worked on and all the obstacles and having kids and dealing with that. And so I'm, I'm happy that they are finally able to really voice their experiences. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like it's going to slow down at all. No, the season two comes out October 5th, a season. And depending on how that goes, then we might get a season three and it's just going to keep on going. Don's probably going to have even crazier ideas and it's going to be wonderful. So how about you? What's next for you? Um, I'm currently writing, finishing writing my first narrative feature. So it's kind of getting out of the documentary genre and getting still horror, but getting into narrative, um, writing a period piece that is inspired by like Jeepers Creepers, Dead Silence, and it follows. And you know where you can get makeup effects for cheap. I know. I can call a guy who will do it very cheaply. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's really the end goal for me in in my filmmaking career is to be able to make really high-end practical effects films and alongside my dad. What is it about the horror genre that that you think appeals to you? Um, I think it's such an underrated genre. It is so hard to make a good horror film. Even bad horror films, you have to give them kudos for doing it. Because if you're on an actual horror film set, it is the funniest thing of your life. It is like so awkward. Nobody's talking. And then it's like, bam, you know, pop up in the camera lens. It's so funny to watch. And so it's really hard to find that balance of keeping the tension, dropping it, keeping it again, building it, and then a scare and all those things. And, you know, 70% of your movie is happening in sound and post, really, in horror films as well. So to go in without knowing the score or anything is just like such an undertaking. And people who do it well are, should I, I just feel like horror should get more kudos for what it actually does. And what's great about it as well is because it doesn't get the recognition from, say, you know, the, the Academy or, or certain things. It's really the fans of the movies that allow them to continue on and be made. And horror conventions are so much fun. It's just such like a, an underappreciated genre where fans keep it alive. And also the people who make them obviously are passionate about them, which is so cool. 
Well, Kira, thank you so much for your time. This is so nice talking with you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Up next, we're going to be hearing from Daphne Bauer, the director of King on Screen. Daphne has managed to gather a just amazing cast of directors who have put their eyes on Stephen King adaptations, including our good friend Vincenzo Natale. We've got Louis Teigen here, Tom Holland, Taylor Hackford, just a great group of directors talking about King adaptations. We were having some technical difficulties when we started this interview, so hopefully things sound okay. Had a great time talking with Daphne. Hopefully we'll talk again one of these days. She's got a documentary about Hitchcock's Lifeboat coming out eventually. That will be great to discuss. And wouldn't mind talking a little bit more about King on Film, just because it's such a great doc. Are you saying that your Lifeboat documentary isn't available yet? Yeah, exactly, because I haven't finished it yet. I'm working on it, actually. So it will be finished by the first semester of next year, I guess. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to seeing it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's a great topic. And I hope we can talk at some point for a longer time, because you've had a fascinating career, and you're only, what, 25? Oh, that's nice, but I... Just turn 30 this July, actually. <laughs> all right, all right. Good thing I don't have to do math for a living. I know we don't have a whole lot of time, so let me ask you a, a few questions about King on Screen. I'm so curious, how did you even come up with the idea for the documentary? Well, actually, I've been a huge fan of Stephen King since I'm a child. I wanted to make a documentary a little bit different from the previous ones that were made about Stephen King, so I wanted to really have the director's point of view. Since he's the most adapted author, I wanted really to have this point of view and to have the voice of the filmmakers who adapted them. How did you even go about organizing this project? Because it seems like a really big thing to do, especially when it comes to the rights for film clips. Well, actually, for the rights, it's all used in fair use. You know, since it's a documentary, you have the possibility to use some extracts of the films under the fair use law, which means that since it has an educational purpose as a documentary, you can use some of the clips if they are well used, actually. So it wasn't an issue, but it's true that it was a lot uh, a huge deal to organize everything since we had something like 27 directors in the film. So we had to to meet everyone. So it's a project that we start like two years ago, three, three years ago now. Yeah, actually. So yeah, it took a long time to meet everyone and then um, to to make the edits and to shoot the fictional introduction that we have at the beginning of the film. So, yeah, that was a huge uh, amount of work. The main actress in that intro, she looks a little familiar. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true that I started the film by acting in it. 
because I wanted to have this kind of perspective, you know, the, like the director going into the Stephen King universe and going for the interviews somehow, you know. So to have this kind of feeling of going into the Stephen King universe. Did you first come to King through his books or through the movies? It was through the books. I read The Shining. It was the first book I read when I was like 10. The first Stephen King book in him. I asked my father to give me some uh, kind of horror book to read. And he came up with The Shining. So I read it in like two days and I was completely hooked. And then I started to read other Stephen King books like It or uh, Stand and uh, to watch as well the films. So, yeah, it's been a, a long story uh, to, well, a long, uh, how would you say that, uh, connection to Stephen King somehow. How did the pandemic affect shooting of the film? It had an impact for sure because we were supposed to shoot in in March 2020. Actually, we bought all the plane tickets and everything, and we had to postpone everything since the the borders were like totally locked. So it was a huge amount of stress because we had to, well, we were hoping that the directors who agreed to be a part of the project would agree to meet us like later, but we didn't know when it would happen. So that's why the the film took so long actually to be made because of the pandemic. So yeah, it was pretty intense and no writing because we were hoping so much that we could make projects. <laughs> I was so glad to see some directors in there who I don't normally see in film. Folks like Mark Lester, Louis Teague, Tom McLaughlin, so many great directors and so many great stories too. True that we wanted to really have a lot of uh, directors in it because it's uh, it's important to have all these point of views and to have like something. I wouldn't say that we wanted to be you know very uh, accurate about having all the directors, but yeah, I think uh, it was nice to meet uh, everyone and to have uh, their point of view on his work. Is Fantastic Fest the first time this movie's getting shown? Yeah, it was actually the first screening was yesterday. And there's another one tomorrow. Well, it went pretty great. Yeah, actually. So the, the audience was really happy and they loved the fictional introduction to, to see all the, the references, the history and all the great actors we had in the fictional introduction. Even, uh, well, they they really appreciate the film and all the, the cast, which is pretty amazing, the cast of directors. Um, it's always a pleasure to hear them talk about their passion. Were there any directors that you tried to get that you were unable to? Absolutely. For example, we wanted to have uh, John Carpenter, other directors, and for example, Ma- Marie Lambert as well because it could have been great to have her in the documentary. I'm a huge fan of first film symmetry. So we tried, but some of the directors weren't available for, for the film, so we, we had to deal with it, for sure. I have to say the Frank Darabont interview is amazing, and I'm so curious, how long did that interview session go on for? 
amazing to have Frank in documentary because it's very rare. You don't see him in documentaries. I mean, it's pretty discreet. We talked for more than two hours and a half. So it was a great meeting and it was so fascinating to hear him talk about Sean's station and his work on Stephen King's movie, actually. What was the biggest surprise for you while you were making the movie? What did you learn that you didn't think you knew before? I don't know about surprises, but I think the thing you learn when you make a documentary like this and you meet so many directors, it's, well, each time it's like having a masterclass, you know, because you are with these great directors who had a lot of experience working on films. So you learn about directing, you learn about their methods, you learn about, for sure, about Stephen King as well, because, well, about their the approach when you are a director and you are making an adaptation of something that is already here, that already exists. So it's very interesting to, to know more about all of this. The editing in the film is wonderful, especially the way that, that sections are grouped together without feeling very obvious that they're being grouped together. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it was really difficult, actually, because when you have 27 directors, you have to, to deal with that and to have all them working together, you know, to have a train going to through the documentary. So it's it's been a lot of work, but I think we manage it. I think it uh, it works pretty well the way everything is assembled, actually, and the the way they respond to each other. It's something we worked a lot on, because you see, when we are talking about the, the shooting of The Shining on McGarry's set, for example, and then Frank Darabon is coming on the set to talk about the Green Mine. So we didn't want to make something very general, you see. Thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, my pleasure. It was great. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak about the movie.